Welcome to Founding Impact, where we talk about impact startup ecosystem in Europe. I'm Maciej Gałkiewicz. And I'm Kasia Zalewska. We are Impact Angel Investors from Ragnarsson. Welcome, guys, in the next episode of Founding Impact. And today our guest is Daniel Di Giusto. And we are going to be talking about the world of NGOs, how to collaborate with them, how to do different kind of pro bono projects with them. And we decided that Daniel would be the perfect guest to have today. Hello, Daniel. Yes. Hello. Great to see you both. Hello. Likewise. Likewise. Super happy to have you. Um, we came across at your at organization by a, by a pure accident, um, and it kind of coincided with our own research about NGOs. And we thought, okay, this is really this is really the sign. We need to we need to go deeper and uh, have a like a proper conversation with you, not only privately to 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 better understand uh, what we can do in this space, but also we decided it would be very great for our audience. So uh, as a start, I think it would be uh, very valuable to, uh, to explain a bit what you do um, personally and uh, as an organization to have a better understanding of, uh, of what you're trying to achieve. All right, good, good start. I like it. Um, so my name is Daniel um, and I'm the co-founder um, of Tech to the Rescue. Uh, Tech to the Rescue is a, a nonprofit organization. And at Tech to the Rescue, what we do is ultimately we uh, help other nonprofits find the right technology partner uh, to scale up their social impact. So we try to utilize technology uh, for a good reason, and we try to help nonprofits do even more good using technology that's available. That's basically it. And how did you actually end up in this space? Like it's, I'm always super curious about the personal stories of different people because this is like a, like a purely um, good thing to be doing, I, I would say. And I'm, I'm super curious how, what, what kind of um, convinced you to, to join forces um, because I know that apart from you, there is uh, Jacek, one of the co-founders of Tech to the Rescue, so it'd be really great to dive a bit deeper into your story. Yeah, sure. Uh, I hope it's not going to be too boring and I'm, I'll try to make it... It's never uh, boring, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, yes. Um, so I'll, I'll try to make it short um, or at least concise to the point. So um, my personal story of, of uh, being in a world of impact is it was actually a bumpy ride um, but it started already in high school, I think. I used to be involved in um, different sorts of charities. And uh, I don't know, probably it's it's something that was very, very close to my heart uh, since I remember helping others and, and doing something for those that are in need. Um, and it was very, very interesting for me to discover that world of uh, innovation um, because um, when I actually understood that uh, what technology can do or what are the uh, upsides of using technology for a good cause, I was it, it opened whole new universe for me. Uh, what are the opportunities? What we can do actually to to do even more good. So um, for me. The first touch with uh, impact, it was very early in my, my teenagehood. Uh, but later on, when I entered the professional world uh, and I started working in, in IT industry, I actually saw 
uh, the, the, the whole pool of opportunities. And I started thinking, wow, it would be very, very interesting to see what can get, what, what can we get out of uh, the mix of those two worlds. So um, that was pretty much uh, how it worked. I started working in IT industry. Um, now actually, everything began with, uh, with one class. So I, I went to a class. No, actually, I didn't go to that class. Yeah, I, <laughs> but there was a class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there was a class uh, by university um, where, because uh, I'm based in Krakow, Poland, uh, beautiful city. Uh, I invite anybody, everyone that's interested in experiencing a little bit of medieval vibe slash uh, business uh, internationalism. Uh, I think that's a great place to be. Uh, I studied at the University of Economics and I had one class uh, of statistics, I think. Uh, greetings to my teachers. Uh, but I didn't go to the first classes. And I remember uh, the first time uh, what happened, I went to the professor and I, 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 I apologized. I said, I, I know I, I, I wasn't there and what can I do to catch up and, and so on. And the the response was quite interesting because um, my professor, she said, um, okay, okay, I see. Um, you know what? Um, there is a workshop, three days, paid, good food, workshops with business professionals. Would you like to go? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> was it supposed to be a, a punishment? <laughs> Free <Wait>. food? Come <laughs> on. <laughs> How to say no? And, and it, it was paid. <laughs> <laughs> should I should I miss the classes more often? Jesus. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, okay. No, and uh, but really, um, that was the thing. Like uh, the, the the professor uh, just realized they had a a whole program paid and they just uh, missed the the marketing for it because uh, guess what the 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 public uh, institutions not always invest that much or at least at that time it was over 10 years ago uh, invested uh, money into marketing or, or paid attention to it like they Hard focused to on, believe. right <laughs> I know I know they focused on what they did the best so teaching right and uh, yeah, and, and that was it. Like I, I went to that workshop. It was like three days course, and there were a couple of people that worked in uh, IT, and that's how I met my my first boss. That I didn't go to class, and then as a coincidence, I went to a completely different group of my uh, of my degree, and uh, I ended up at the at the workshop where I met my first boss, and I started working for. Uh, for a startup, a, a small company uh, that was working in design industry, and we were trying to innovate in the sphere of uh, creating. Um, it was, it, it is still probably called crowdsourcing, but what we were trying to do was a a crowdsourcing platform for designers to engage into projects and create their portfolio taking part in some some competitions um, and it was incredible like when I when I met people from the industry for the first time when I when I felt the 
the energy that that open mindedness uh it was it was extraordinary like i i i've met so many curious people asking me questions they treated me like you know i i was just a newbie i didn't know much but people were very open and and uh they they treated me with respect and i was like oh my god this is incredible that's great i i love this atmosphere like i i really enjoy it um so it became almost like an addiction of mine to meet new people like go and and take part in those community events and uh, it was a time where when startup community in Krakow and Poland was booming like many people were interested in doing business in, in in tech sphere starting startups like that was a time when Brainly was started I think Michał who is the CEO today I think I saw him a couple of times we saw each other at the events uh, like the community events then uh, there was also base CRM that's today acquired already by Zendesk but uh, it was quite a big deal back then. Uh, one of the most rapidly growing uh, companies. Um, what year was it? Um, it was 2012 or okay. 2011, 12. Yeah, something like that. Ancient history. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> older, older than carbon. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, but when we look back, uh, it's just a, almost a decade ago, but it's really... It, there was many, many things that changed since then. And uh, when I look back, uh, that was a time when I when I started getting involved in those initiatives. And I uh, remember there was one initiative, uh, a community event, like first community event in Krakow called Hive 53. And uh, it was organized by uh, ex founders co-founders of base which was uh pavo uh which was uh, ella made uh, and uh and piotr nanzinski um and actually uh, there were also marek Wierzbicki. so the three of them started organizing hive and i met ella i just came and said hey um can i can i help you with that because it seems like a very interesting event and and you know, I I was welcome. Like nobody judged me. Nobody actually evaluated me. Like okay, you want to do something? We have a job for you. Just do the job. Like small steps, giving me you know different tasks. Just just do one thing. We will see wh wh where it goes. And uh, it was incredible. So I felt the vibe, and I I felt the power of innovation actually at the time and of community. Yeah, but from community to actually connecting nonprofits and uh, business owners to find the common potential, there's like seems like a long way between. So what happened there? So, so it was uh, it happened that Ella uh, uh, Ella Mali was leaving Poland. She actually was moving to uh, San Francisco to start her own venture. Um, and later, uh, it occurred that uh, she started a, a deep tech uh, venture fund that's actually investing in companies uh, focused on doing, on making impact, making money, but also making huge impact. Um, 
but when she was leaving she 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 just passed me the responsibility for continuing the building the community uh the startup community of Krakow and what happened after that is that um I spent some time working with the with people from the community I founded a a foundation supporting startups in in Krakow called OMG KRK uh that was and, you oh yeah I remember the hashtag oh yeah I, yeah I was visiting a couple of times and I've I've seen it all over the place nice great so there there was there were there were a couple of co-founders including me um uh, and we we started the foundations because we we knew that the community itself it will it, it is there but what's what could be helpful would be some sort of entity that would actually work on gathering people together on giving them you know tools or connecting actually me personally i felt that matching connecting the dots it's it, that's the biggest power you can have like you you see opportunities you see people that are potentially able to do something create some value and that's something i really wanted to do so we started the foundation and it actually still exists it, it's doing very well and it's doing um it's making a difference um but me personally i i was still working in the uh in in the it company i was working for a product company building majorly uh, web applications on ruby and um it, it was great but i felt in turn like inside that um okay something i i feel that am i using my skills the best way possible for the world you know and it, it was actually it was it was actually 2017 when Ella Made came uh, to visit uh, Krakow on her journey from from California, and we met for a coffee. And she said, "Hey Daniel, so um, how are you doing with 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 Hive? How is the community and, and everything?" And I was talking to her, and I'm I'm like, "Well, I, I feel like." there is that feeling in the industry that people want to do like people want to do something else something more like there are new companies new uh companies that are building facebook of something or uber or something or something something else that's uh software based but i feel like people need some something more something else and at that time she she said okay I'm starting a a new community-based series of events called Impact.Tech. And what we want to do is we want to connect. We we basically want to reach out to um, PhD students mainly. um, And we want to help PhD students to commercialize their deep technologies that have potential to change the world. And that was a click. I was like, wow, yes, this is something I would be really interested in doing. Like, that sounds incredible. I really want to try it out. And what we did is basically we run a series of events in Poland um, about using tech for good. 
Um, and the response from the community was incredible. Like I remember um, 250 people signing up for an event where we expected 50 people, maybe 45, 60 to appear, but people just really wanted, like that was something different. Like everybody was talking how you scale your, your app, how you basically, you know, um, build another unicorn, but I, I feel like people were just tired of it. I mean, it, it was the, the tipping point where people started to feel we just want to do something more. And uh, we run that pilot program. And uh, at some point, as the summary of it, I went to San Francisco to, to stay with Ella and her partner, Seth, uh, who both run uh 50 years fun and when i went there to meet to 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 because uh, we were i was a part of the committee that was organizing a, a conference there as well we decided to organize a conference in san francisco about carbon sequestration what are the solutions on the market that um what are the companies that actually can uh help with the climate change sequestrating the carbon from the from the atmosphere when i saw that that's the that's the problems that san francisco based startups or the bay area startups are focusing on solving i was i, I was amazed i was like wow the awareness of people and the purpose of their business this is something that's really inspiring and I started feeling that I would like to do something similar, like work for a cause, like work on the, on solving problems that really touch all us around, you know? Um, and then at some point I felt that emptiness inside and I'm not saying that working for every technology company or, or software company is bad. I think, this is an experience, that incredible experience that I think that brought a lot amazing people to my life and and experiences and skills. For me personally, at some point, I felt okay, I want to do something more, and I decided to to leave the the the, the product company that I worked for, and uh, actually, that was the moment. When, right before the pandemic hit. Uh, so it was like a couple of months that I spent just reading and, and thinking about what the future brings, what should I do? And then um, and then after that, the pandemic hit. And it was interesting because the time that I had, the self-actualization time, I was thinking about sustainability. Like I watched... Mm, quite a few documentaries about the earth what's the state of the of the earth and where are we going and i was like i'm really surprised that we are where we are and nothing got really screwed up yet and then you know a <laughs> few weeks later boom and i'm like I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I was <Like>, just saying. <laughs> I, it was just a thought. I didn't. I didn't say it. I, it was just a thought. But it felt like 
that was the 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 outcome inevitable outcome that was supposed to happen like it was just a you know the clock was ticking and the world shut down and i felt okay this is a sign like this is this is the moment like we got to act um and I got involved in a couple of initiatives then. I I, I started working with uh, Anima International, which is one of top charities uh, in the world, working on, on welfare of, of animals. And uh, one of their campaigns is actually um, uh, a campaign called Roshlin Yemi, which is uh, promoting um, the the plant based diet and and alternatives to regular protein. Um, I helped with uh, uh, organizing a a very very well known uh, plant power perspectives conference that was taking place last year. Um, I also got involved into um, climate kick acceleration program that was taking place at that time and i met so many interesting startups that were actually addressing climate change problem i was so amazed i i i I thought wow there there is a sign like the change is here like people actually don't only talk about getting involved into such you know uh initiatives but they are doing it um and I thought, okay, what can I do to actually, to actually help? Like, what can I do with my skills? What will be the, uh, the best way? Because the, the most effective way. Um, and that's the time when I started organizing my small working group of couple of people, couple of activists to build um, something that we called um, impact working group that was supposed to match biggest organizations with nonprofits to help solve the problems that was that was the initiative um <laughs> and after a month or two months i saw tech to the rescue is signed somewhere like some social media or something and i was like okay so i'm not the only one like <laughs> all right so there are all the people to say it's never the case (laughs) (laughs) yeah right um and i thought okay um so let's connect let's see what they do what's going on because it's always better to join forces and probably do things faster or better um than just to try to you know build boundaries and then try to stay you know separated uh in my opinion at least um so that's how I actually met Tech to the Rescue for the first time. I reached out to Yatek because Yatek uh, initially was uh, one of the first people that started helping with the bringing the idea to where it is today. And I said, "Hey, let's let's do it." And that's a little bit the too long introduction that I hoped it would be shorter, but here we are. <laughs> At least it gives us a very deep, uh, um, like, um, um, overview and and what kind of motivation you had on the road here. So thank you so much for sharing it. Um, maybe we could dive a bit deeper into um, 
into what you do at Tech to the Rescue. So would be, I guess, the, the first question that comes to my mind is just to give a better understanding of what kind of NGOs you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, how does it function so far? Sure. So at Tech to the Rescue, what, what we do is we try to help. Um, so, so first of all, we see each other as a as a middleman, as a as a middle person in the process. We try to identify the nonprofit organizations that would definitely benefit from using technology to scale up their positive impact. And uh, by identifying, I mean, uh, since since the beginning uh, of Tech to the Rescue, when it started as a simple website where there was just a list of organizations that anybody could actually add themselves to the list any nonprofit organization was able to add um, themselves to to the list um what basically happened that since then we we started um analyzing what kind of organizations are there and uh we we understood that some of the biggest challenges of of the um, nonprofit organizations uh, industry is is that many times they don't even know that they can use technology to uh, to do more, to do things well, better, faster, or or bigger scale. You know, um, since the beginning, uh, over twenty. 250 nonprofits signed up for our initiative, uh, which for us was a pure sign of the fact that um, there is a need. Uh, And then what we wanted to do is we wanted to help those that are most mature, but in terms of uh, readiness to do projects like tech projects and implementing tech projects to actually help them achieve their goals and do more social impact that that they were already working on. So how do you define when if nonprofit is actually ready for starting building a product for a startup for me is quite obvious but I'm curious how does it looks like for nonprofit mm-hmm. what what is required within the organization so you can say they are ready to work with software agency for example. Um so there are a couple of criteria. At the beginning, we were thinking, oh, maybe we should decide which organizations are uh, doing the real change. You know, like we thought maybe we should be the ones that decide who we help because we have limited resources. Like there was just me and the Yatsik part time trying to work on it. And we wanted to help the right ones, you know, um, mm-hmm. those that are doing the, the, the biggest impact. But then we thought, okay, but if we limit ourselves only to the famous ones or the most recognizable ones, maybe we will miss those that actually really benefit from our help. Because there are nonprofit organizations that already do impact, and they are quite okay. They are they are doing well. Actually, in in United States, nonprofits they they really many times uh, operate as corporations as as companies they have good structures sales teams like they know that this is the future like they need to organize mm-hmm. themselves well to do the most impact um and in our criteria what we decided to stick to was 
okay, we need definitely people that are really into the problem they're solving. So the the intention, the the intention, the motivation of the person is pure. And it's for us, it's quite often it's it's always visible when somebody's fired up about solving some problem after talking to them. Uh, but then we also talk about their readiness. Okay, are you able to devote your time to you know um, cooperate with a technology company? Are you able? Are do you have enough knowledge to run such project? And are you actually able to allocate time? Because many times NGOs, what they do is they're really focused on helping others on the on the core mission they have that they don't always think about what can I do else to actually do, you know, what, what can I do besides my mission, you know? Very very often very mission-driven people that are getting involved into NGO world, to nonprofit organizations. Right. Which, what you said about the motivation is, I mean, to me it's a bit surprising in a sense of I would expect them to be well motivated if they are running an NGO. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's, it's, it's interesting that, that, that you still check it. Uh, I mean, this is the first thing that we do also with startups, with startup founders. We look into their motivation and uh, if we decide that, I mean, if in our subjective opinion, obviously they, they're not there for uh, any kind of impact, then we are a bit afraid of moving forward because then if the problems problems arise in the future, it would be very easy for them to sacrifice the impact oh, for yeah. impact for financial gains or or other benefits. Um, but yeah, uh, cool. Yes. So um, yep, I totally agree. Like if if you're fired up by some specific idea or or uh, problem that you're solving, I think this is common for both startup world that I've learned from my experience and also for any kind of project. Uh, and we really want to help those people that will really invest into, you know, such collaboration. Because in our case, we match those organizations with tech partners on a pro bono or low bono basis. We want to make this kind of collaboration as a standard uh, market practice. Mm -hmm. So if you get such support, we really want to make sure that this is not going to be a waste of time of the technology partner. I mean, this is work, right? Somebody is sacrificing, uh, investing, I would say that's the very word, word, investing time. Yeah, I can imagine that it's uh, kind of similar to, to startup world that so many percent out of all the projects that are being run, quite a lot of them fail due to different reasons being i don't know lack of business perspective lack of investors lack of a good tech side so i can also imagine it might be also a case for non-profits if they want to run such a project that is a little bit outside of their expertise even though they have a partner some of them might fail in a in long term because it's still kind of a no, it's risky. as you said investment yeah. and it is risky it's not like we're gonna do this project and 100 percent for sure it's gonna be it's gonna work out and it's gonna make change uh, to the to the planet right so yeah. i can imagine this this is kind of a risk that not many those more old school non-profits wants to take because to to try to do something out of their expertise and like the safety zone of the things that they were doing it's more like okay if something is working well why to change it right 
No, it's actually very so. So our learnings from that time, uh, from from the beginning when we started working, matching those two worlds, I would say, because we 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 we've understood that many times both sides have some assumptions about the other side, and uh, I'm talking about tech uh, and and nonprofits. Uh, they they have some. Uh, I wouldn't call it prejudice, but assumptions. I think that's something that 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 well using, uh, worth using. So, um, it's not easy for NGO to actually understand uh, what it is to do a technology product, because what we as Tech to the Rescue try to do is we try to first and foremost help to build digital products to those organizations. Um, that's our unique selling point. We know that we 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 know that we are one of the only the only or one of the few that are actually doing it in, globally, uh, helping to build digital products on a pro bono or low bono basis to social impact organizations. And uh, building products is not easy. That's why so many unicorns, so many startups fail. Right? Surprise! Surprise! <laughs> and uh, you mentioned you have around 250 uh, uh, NGOs on board. Uh, what's kind of how how is it split? Do you have like mostly uh, environmental related NGOs or social impact um, NGOs or other kinds of impact? How does it look like? Yeah, um, the easiest way to visualize it would be to use the United Nations SDG um, uh, separation. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's not always easy to actually say that, okay, we act in this specific sphere. Sometimes mm-hmm. different areas of problems are crossing and those are, you know, um, they, they are more complex. What, what we, what I can say from the, from the group of, uh, beneficiaries, the nonprofits in our community, um, there is a various list of different problems they are trying to solve. So, for example, um, during the last year, uh, we we helped to match. We we helped to start forty three collaborations uh, between tech and nonprofits, and um, we know that. Uh, they were based in, I think, 12, 13 countries, different, different uh, countries, different mentalities, uh, mentalities, different um, backgrounds. Um, we, I can give you like three quick examples of the of the of the uh, nonprofits that we support in the, their their mission. So, for example, one of the organizations we supported. Uh, was uh, the Lily Project from Nicaragua. Um, this is a, a, a um, organization that is trying to educate the society and help to prevent cervical cancer uh, starting in Nicaragua. That was the, that was the beginning. Uh, so what they did ultimately was they were riding a bus from small village to a village and trying to educate uh, women about uh, how to test themselves, how to basically take care about themselves. Because 
uh, it wasn't that obvious in that re region, in that culture of macho society where actually, you know, uh, women are uh, supposed to stay at home and, and uh, uh, they, they are, you know, perceived as the ones that should provide for others, not provide for themselves. And what uh, at the beginning, what were they doing? They were helping very manually, and and um, they reached, I think, thirty thousand women, which was an incredible result from our perspective. But when the pandemic hit, that was that was that was it. That was end. Like they were not able to do it anymore. Like you know, it was it was very hard. Um, so what we did because uh the the leading team of uh the lily project started a a whatsapp group and it it started booming like it was something out of their expectation because women for the first time uh were able to speak openly their husbands were not judging them that they are talking to some random women from a bus about something shady like women's health right <laughs> and what? i know and that's what happened like they started opening up about their problems exchanging their their um situation it became a community like a true community and what we decided to do is we basically decided to uh help them build a a mobile app so it also can be a platform where women can get educational materials and uh, it can be actually, you know, um, a, a go-to pay page, a knowledge base that will serve. Uh, and that's what we actually started doing. And an interesting thing is that at the beginning, it was supposed to be a, a project that will operate maybe first in Nicaragua, maybe afterwards spread it to Latin America and overall. Um, but what we did is we matched the team uh, with the technology partner that is a uh, Dutch company that has a vast majority of their team members, engineering team members in Asia, uh, India, Pakistan, and uh, countries around. Um, and the reason why they were really excited about getting involved into this project was that uh, women in, in, in the team in Pakistan were very, very uh, excited that they can build something of a value that they also would be using, that they also would be interested to use. So their motivation to actually get involved was not just to do good, which is great as well, but they actually felt that that would be great to implement in their own society. And right now, the Lily Project, from being a project in Nicaragua, can develop to be a project that can be potentially implemented in, uh, in Arabic countries as well, uh, which is incredible. Like, this is incredible. Yeah. Uh, do you see other cases uh, where... These types of projects, uh, they um, so what what we would would like to really understand is the the benefits for the for the company that supplies um, 
people and other resources that are needed to, to build something for a friend NGO, we were wondering how do they use those kind of collaborations as an internal tool and or maybe an external one as, as well to um, um, inspire their employees to, um, you know, basically what kind of benefits they get from, mm-hmm. from, this, from such projects. So you mentioned like in this case, uh, Pakistani uh, developers, uh, women, they, they were kind of, it was easy for them to relate that, okay, this is pretty cool. I would be using it as well. So I'm motivated to, to build this solution. Uh, but have you seen any, anything uh, similar to, to it in, in other cases? Well, of course. I mean, the, 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 there is that, that um, unmeasurable aspect of pure satisfaction where, when you actually talk to people that say, wow, what we, what we do really you know, fires us up because we do something good for people, like we influence people's lives. But when we look at this from the perspective of the company, because this is a an involved investment involvement of the company into using own time to to do good. Yeah. Uh, besides the satisfaction of doing making a difference, uh, we definitely see that uh, this is a a great field for teams for tech teams to actually utilize their skills. And um, there are a couple of use cases that we know that work very, very well. For example, first of them is uh, some of the companies, um, they have uh, R&D teams that are trying to learn new technology. And, you know, sometimes they lack projects that they could actually implement mm-hmm. uh, this knowledge in, you know, and, and then uh, instead of creating an artificial project, that might be useful or might not, they can actually get into right away using that skill, uh, experimenting with technology, building something meaningful. Um, But this is just one of the examples. Another one is uh, there are teams that are being formed. And many times uh, the team needs some sort of a battlefield, let's say, to unite the troops, to unite the group that is, you know, <laughs> going to fight together later Some on. Common enemy. <laughs> yeah. Well, or actually form a the the peace corps of United Nations. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, let's let's think it's about great it. To be way. on a mission. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but to actually unite a team, um, it is a great opportunity to actually work on something that that also has that value inside, you know, that also comes with a, um, with not only the pragmatic aspect, but also that, that ethical, uh, inspirational aspect for the team. So um, from, from our experience, there are also teams that want to onboard new team members. They have those uh, bootstrap kind of, camps that they organize for their teams and this is a great opportunity to do something meaningful and get people together and actually unify them Uh, some teams also have so-called bench right so some people don't have project for some time and the it's it's just you know it makes people feel bad like why i'm not my skills are not used well what am i doing here um and it makes company actually gain from it because 
we as Tech to the Rescue are really happy to promote companies that do our projects through the marketing we do. When we go and we talk about uh, our initiative, um, I hope you don't mind, but I really want to say that the companies, if you go to our website, techtotherescue.org, uh, there is a list of companies that support our initiative and also the list of companies that are involved. And these are incredible teams that really want to get involved. And I think the market um, attention should be on them. Like, we want to do good. If they want to do good, um, I think it's worth recognizing. And uh, from our side, we try to always highlight it in our marketing. And we also are happy to match those teams because the biggest uh, satisfaction is when we actually see their satisfaction from being involved in the projects. Yeah, I'm quite convinced or even totally convinced by the, the argument of using this type of projects as a, like a testing ground, so to say, for new teams, for example, or um, new hires. But I can also imagine that they are they might be a little bit more challenging in terms of, for example, cooperating with not so experienced team on the other side. And it might be one of the challenges that you face as a tech company. What from the, your experience on, or the cases that you, you worked on uh, until now, what would you say are the biggest challenges or things that you should be as a tech partner, potential tech partner, that things that you should be aware of before mm -hmm. you jump into such project? Right. Um, so what we definitely uh, advise on when before starting any collaboration um, what we advise on is very detailed description of what is perceived as a as a so what is the definition of done when are we done with mm -hmm. with particular mm -hmm. scope um i know it might sound obvious it might not but when we deal with the scarcity of tech team and the very limited time when the teams can come and allocate their time the time is the goal the time is the value right so what we definitely try to highlight all the time is that our job as Tech to the Rescue is try to get the very detailed or as much as possible detailed brief with expectations, needs that we can present to a tech partner. So we come with a brief and then the tech partner already has verified a nonprofit organization that they more or less understand what they need. Uh, what has to be remembered is that on the other side, uh, there is a nonprofit organization that might not have that much experience, but also what we try to analyze as Tech to the Rescue is whether the team in the nonprofits organi nonprofit organization, whether they have any previous project management uh, experience. Um, I know project management is far from building products. But when we have people who have that mindset of delivering some sort of um, uh, scope, we know that it will be way easier to connect them with product managers, uh, scrum masters, whoever is on the other side of the, uh, of the table, and actually make them talk and communicate with each other. So be aware that the other side might have different perspective. But our role is actually to address some of the basic, most important criteria to make the project successful. 
So you, you don't only help with uh, with the matchmaking, but you also facilitate the process uh, and make sure that there are like certain deliverables that were discussed at the beginning, which uh, I, I understood it increases the chances of, of delivering something successfully and hopefully on time uh, that would be useful for, for the NGO. What we do uh, is we initiate the process. We try to highlight the key aspects that we think mm -hmm. are important. Uh, we also define some of the first uh, things that should be paid attention to. And then we don't want to get involved into this, the, the process of delivering and, and managing. Like We know that we deal with professionals, with experts of the field. <laughs> Of course. So why wouldn't we? Why would we actually, you know, mess up with your process? Like we, we, we know that we can suggest, but at the end of the day, the execution is mm -hmm. on the team, and we don't want to get into this because we want the professionals to work with professionals, and we try to match make professionals with with responsible professionals as well. Okay, so to temp attempt those uh, professionals you're saying can you say us uh, tell us like two projects that are currently on your pipeline and looking for someone to just come in and do the good job uh, something that is just you know just waiting for someone to come yeah so basically we right now uh there is a great project that that we have i mean every project actually which come it's it's hard to actually diversify which ones are great which are greater i would say yeah that's that's the, the diversification the, the I would future say. will tell probably yeah okay yeah. so those that you are the most excited about um i i what's what's uh, close to my heart personally is um projects in the area of alternative protein uh, animal welfare and actually climate change uh, I really, really encourage everybody to go to our website because we have the projects highlighted there. Uh, one example of the project, which is not exactly in the the key area of my interest, but which is very important, is the uh, children welfare. We have an organization that is building right now a system that would allow parents to uh, find... so. It, Using the startup terminology, I would say Airbnb for parents that are actually coming to hospitals and are searching for the closest um, uh, apartments to the hospital or to the area. But within the hospital or uh, close to, to it? it? It might be both because we okay. know that some hospitals actually open uh right now the the hotel kind of uh, areas but also the 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 uh, private apartments that are close by that they could stay at when their children are being you know diagnosed uh mm -hmm. this is something that we didn't find uh, on the market and the, the the organization that we are helping uh tries to solve it uh tries to solve this problem uh, and I personally think this is this is an incredible uh, project to to get involved into. Uh, thank you so much for for mentioning the, the the website. We will put the link under the the video. So whoever uh, of so anyone from our listeners who is interested would be more than 
um, uh, we would be, uh, be very happy to have to have you uh, on on um, Daniel's website and uh, looking into projects that might be of interest. Um, is there anything specific that you require from the supply side, so uh, from the tech companies, um, apart from having some spare time to to help? Um, I think I think a goodwill, motivation, and also open mind. Um, I think um, if if every company, every tech company, would do one project at least. But one would be enough a year. We would live in a completely um, different world where where uh, important problems are being solved by people with skills, uh, with with high level skills and tech technology tech skills are on that list of necessary skills to make any organization um, of the future uh, successful and and deliver projects that matter. And I think the nonprofit organizations of the future will be those that pay attention to developing own tech skills as well. Um, building nonprofit organizations which have internal tech teams, it's not going to be easy. We could spend another hour talking about, you know, <laughs> the problems of the yeah of of the industry and and um what are our lessons from that um but we in tech to the rescue we we think that the future is in technology and and the nonprofit organization that will not adjust to it will ultimately disappear uh because uh, in making a difference in the world we need to use the resources that are currently available and are most bringing us the most uh, results and technology is here and we should use it to, to make good. So let's use technology to solve real problems and let's make uh, uh, nonprofit uh, organizations successful, making a, a pro bono, low bono basis collaboration, uh, a standard market practice. I think it's a beautiful call to action to some that this really summarizing the the essence of what we discussed today, and I would say that uh, yeah, definitely, uh, I would say let's encourage anyone that has any type type of tech skills. It doesn't have to. I can imagine it doesn't have to be a company. It could be also uh, private people coming up to you, and you guys did a tremendous job to actually enable this access to the, all those really cool projects. And there's really not much for anyone willing to do something to do just come and start coding basically so it sounds super simple and anyone any company should try even this once once a year so yes really fingers crossed for you guys that uh, that it's going to work out uh, i really believe that's the right way for for the industry to go i deep in my heart i really truly also believe that the future best places to work the ones that will be perceived as best place to work or places that are the most exciting will be companies that have in their curriculum not only um, commercial projects, uh, commercial products, but also uh, the products that make a difference and use tech for, for good purpose. 
Got it. Cool. Thank you so much, uh, Daniel, for for the overview. For me, like the two main takeaways were uh, the call to action to all NGOs listening that it's time to digitize. This is the future for you. Uh, maybe not for all, but there are probably it's it's one of the the biggest waves happening right now. And the second one, a bit more anecdotal, uh, the the classes. <laughs> <laughs> so even if you're not uh, going into some classes, if you're a student, it not ne- it's not necessarily something bad. And uh, good things may happen if you're honest with your professor. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Daniel, for sharing this story. Thank I think you. we have all covered for today. Thank you so much for being us and for all listeners. Uh, stay tuned for the next episodes. Thanks for hosting me. Thanks.